0: You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com.
1: Well, good morning. So I'm Pastor Chad. Sorry, I'm a little bit rusty. I've been on vacation for a while. But as we enter into a time of communion, we have communion available on a table back there in the middle. If you have not gotten the elements like I forgot them this morning when I was coming up here, you can head back there right now and grab them communion we celebrate communion as both a gift and a way to remember and it's not just to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross because that is most paramount but it's also to remember that our God is a God who keeps his promises he promised all through the Old Testament that he would provide a way he would provide a way for righteousness he would provide a way for salvation he would provide a a messiah And we celebrate communion together to remember that our God keeps his promises. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. He promises that all the suffering we go through will be worked out for our good and his glory. Amen? So as we remember communion, just keep that in the front of your mind if you're struggling with anything right now. Our faith is not in the promises of this world, money, status, position, jobs, other human beings other than Jesus himself. God fulfills his promises to us. And the night Jesus was betrayed, he was at dinner with his buddies. Twelve of the closest men that he trusted, he knew they were not perfect. And that is another beautiful promise that we see in, in the Last Supper. We don't have to be perfect. That cross, our perfection was done on that cross for us. And Jesus said to his disciples, whenever you meet, break bread. And when you do, remember me. Remember my body broken for you. But you eat the bread? see if we can all get it open on the same night in a very similar way jesus took the cup he raised it and gave thanks to god he gave thanks to god for his blood to be poured out for us to cover our sins so we can be made right with our creator would you drink with me Father God, you are so good. You are so good to me. You are so good to all those you call your children. Father, thank you for this time of turmoil and suffering and challenge. Because we know it builds perseverance and character. And it gives us an opportunity to grow and demonstrate our faith in you. It is in Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen.
0: Good morning. Wonderful to see all of you here this morning here in the sanctuary and those at home. Uh, If you have a chance, open up a Bible to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 uh one quick announcement connie z's memorial service is this saturday july 25th and uh if you'd like to attend we h- will have more than enough room in here we'll also be live streaming it if you'd prefer to watch from home but it'll be an excellent time i'm sure of uh, funny stories and uh, enjoying who connie was the character connie was and the woman of god that she was so that's this saturday july 25th right here at life point Also, I want to ask that you would be praying this week. Myself and the other pastors are going to go uh, up north for a few days, Monday. Uh, We'll leave Monday and be back in the middle of the week. And our goal is to just pray and spend time with God. And we had done this for the first time in a long time in December of last year. And thank goodness we did, (laughs) because I had no idea. It was just a couple months away. And... Uh, i'm so grateful that we got to spend that time together and pray so we're going to be up there praying asking god for direction for the church and uh to know what to do next as far as life point and where in our community we can serve best so would you be praying that god would make it clear as we're up there so we're going to be nearing the end of this series in philippians understanding the grace and truth of god and Uh, Like Quentin Tarantino, we started in the middle, we worked our way to the end, and now we're going to end in the beginning. Uh, We're going back to the beginning of where—how he starts off his letter here to the Philippians. And this morning's message is difficult, not because it's difficult to understand. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's the simplicity of the message that makes it so difficult. Because it's so simple, our brain refuses to receive it as simple. It refuses, there must be more, there has to be more, it cannot be that simple. And so, here we have Paul and he's in chains, and what I want you to know that when it says in verse 14, because of my chains, it's not like the movies where he's chained to a wall somewhere. Paul was actually literally chained to a guard, chained to a guard, that means everything he did, everything he did, he did chained to this guard. The humiliation in that. The weakness, the feeling of helplessness, the powerlessness that is in that. You don't even have your own privacy to be in your own cell. And so these words that are being spoken, this is the situation that Paul's in as he writes this letter to the Philippians. And Philippians is four chapters in in Paul's writings. That is a very small, that's a very short letter that he wrote. And this is how he opens it here. In verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is to gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I don't know which to choose. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary that I remain in the body convinced of this i know that i will remain and i will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again your boasting in christ jesus will abound on account of me listen whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of a manner worthy of the gospel then whether i come and see you or only hear about you in my absence i will know that you stand firm in one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You will not be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now that I still have. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. How easy it can be in times of ease and comfort to fall back on our own abilities and power and strength. How easy and honestly, how sad it is that our routines establish for us a sense of security. That we find normalcy, that we find truth, that we find life in routine. And when something comes and shakes up that routine and begins to break down what is normal, begins to break down what we know, we see it as a hindrance, as an opposition, and we, almost, and we rebuke it in the name of the Lord, don't we? I rebuke this thing that is making me uncomfortable. I rebuke this thing that is messing up my routine, this disease that has caused my children to be home 24-7. Oh, God, help me. I love you kids. They're watching at home. And and, and rather than, rather than stop and say, Lord, what are you looking, what are you looking for in me? You're looking for something in me. You're desiring something in me. And right now with this crisis we're in, with this disease that covers the whole world, you can be sure that God is looking for something in all 7 billion plus of his creatures. He is desiring something from us. He is striving to reach us. And he will allow pain and suffering to take its full course in our minds and our bodies that we may he may not lose us to death. That he may not lose his precious children. He calls us, he draws us. He constantly is... Is speaking and like a good father training their younger children he's he's encouraging come on let's go the upheavals in this world and even in the church itself are not the end of God's blessings they are a reminder of his love and his consistency the upheaval we're currently going through in the church do you stay at home or do you come The church is changing its times. The church is changing uh, how it does church. If you find in yourself a critical spirit in any of this, I want to encourage you to stop and recognize that it is not from God. A critical spirit will never come from the Lord. A spirit of love a spirit of patience, a spirit of forbearing, that is all from the Lord. One that goes to their knees in prayer when they see their world being upended is one who will find peace and security in these times of uncertainty. But if you find yourself being critical of anything, of the politicians of how the state is being run, of decisions going on in your local community, of decisions going on in your church, of decisions going on in your home, your kids' schools, whatever. If you find in yourself right now with these words I'm speaking a critical spirit, I encourage you to take captive of that right now. To not leave this building or leave this live stream wherever you're at without getting on your knees before God and begging him to remove it this morning's message is so simple it's too simple it's too easy how how can that be how can it be that it's that our minds don't just see it and grasp it and say of course it's not of the Lord for me to be critical of course it's not of the Lord for me to beg him to change the circumstances of which I'm in I mean I can clearly see Paul does not want to be in chains He would rather be amongst those that he loves and preaching the gospel and doing the work of which he was literally called for by Jesus Christ. And yet he recognizes that even in his chains, even in his chains, those in the church are becoming strengthened. They're gaining courage. They're saying, if Paul is willing to do this for us, let's go forward. Let's go forward. There is nothing that can thwart the will of god there is no circumstance in your life there is no situation there is nothing that can happen to you that is thwarting the will of god i want to i want to be clear on this there is no disease no death no loss of income no pain no torture no no torment nothing nothing comes upon you except for what is the will of God so if that's the case the question then becomes why do we pray so much for the will of God to happen in our life if his will is already happening I want to tell you why and this is the simple part we pray that God's will will happen in our life because what we are actually praying is that God's will would align with our will And we would like that to happen in our life. And we would like to show God how much we love him and we love others by doing our will in his world and making it his will, our will. Does that make sense? Lord, allow me to show you what a great pastor I am. I want to go and preach at a church of 5,000. Why God? Not for me so that five thousand souls can be saved i want to have the biggest and the nicest things i want to go all over the world why not so i can see the world so that souls can be saved and god says allow me to strike you with an infirmity that keeps you from traveling and i will place you in a small town where you'll never pastor more than 80 people and we feel as though God has abandoned us right because his our will and his will seem to be different so we cry out for the will of God the will of the Father it's actually a sad commentary it's a sad commentary on Christians in America right now that we believe that apart from comfort and goodness that we are out of the will of God we are out of the blessings of God if we are outside of comfort and things going well and I know this firsthand I'm not preaching from any place other than I am living it right alongside you I am reminding my mind and myself daily when things do not go right when things in my body are not going right when things in my world are not going right God I'm exactly in the center of your will help my mind stop trying to conform your will to mine that is one of the greatest frustrations of a believer you hear me it's not the church it's not the music it's not how far you have to drive it's not the world it's not memes it's not anything in your life That is your greatest frustration. The greatest frustration a believer can have is to try to bend God to their will. And then we actually become manipulative in it. We show God how good our plan is. We show him the many lives that will be saved by all we will do for him. And God says, I just want you to suffer for the next 10 years. Well, God, no, (laughs) you're, you're misunderstanding me. Let's slow down for a second, right? Oh, how the Lord loves us, how the Lord is patient and gracious with us. So if this is true, then that means our lives, everything in our lives, the good and the bad, is designed to accomplish the will of God. Not our vision of his will or how we wish it would go or how we've envisioned it. Your life is designed to accomplish His will. Isn't that simple? That's simple, right? You don't need a theology degree to understand that. You don't need to spend time in church for years to understand that. Your life and its purpose solely is to accomplish the will of God, period. Period. Now becomes all the questions and the reason the Christian bookstores are so full. How do I accomplish the will of God? Well, I've got 18 easy steps that must be followed. If any of them aren't followed, you have to go back to step one. <laughs> How do I follow the will of God? It's actually more simple than the first step. Can you believe it? If the first step is just the will of God, that is my primary goal, that is my destination, how do I follow his will is so much simpler. We follow the will of God, hear me, by seeing that every situation and every circumstance we enter into, whether it's by a horrible choice that we've made whether it's by a misstep, a failure or a success should be designed to glorify him. Everything we do, even in our failures, even in our pain and our suffering, everything we do, it's his. I give it back to you, God. I give you this failure. I give you this sin. I give you this addiction. I give you the success of my business. I give you the success of my children. My marriage, I give it back to you, God, because as soon as I receive it, as soon as I start to become full of myself and the power and the gifts that God has given me, I will begin to once again seek my will. And I will very subtly and deceptively tell God what his will should be. And it, it is so unseen. Unseen. Good Christian men and women, present company included, have done this to the Lord. Lord, allow me to show you what is good and what is right. I've learned. I've read your Bible. I've done devotions. I've been in church for three decades, Lord. Allow me to show you what I can do for you. And some of the most difficult moments in your life will be when you expect God to move mightily and nothing happens. No words of wisdom, no feeling of peace. His spirit does not seem near to you. No miracle, no great story you get to go tell on stage or create a book tour with nothing. You begged him. You pleaded with him. You did everything the book said to do, everything your pastor said to do. You went and were anointed with oil by the elders of the church, which Paul says to do, and still nothing He's silent before you. Have any of you ever been there? For many, this is a a fork in the road. I either trust the Lord and I strengthen my resolve that he is good and I am not, or I say goodbye. I leave in frustration because he's failed me for the last time. I'm tired of trusting in something that's not there. Maybe the world is right. Maybe the media and everything I read and every movie I watch is right, that this is a foolish pretense to believe in a God I cannot see. I mean, he hasn't answered me in years. I don't feel his presence. This is when we begin to question everything we believe and doubt God, this is where, this is where self kicks in. If God won't come through, then I will. God, if you if you can't do it here, if this is not part of your will, then fine, I'll take it from here. I don't want to do it like this, God, but you've left me no choice. I'll have to make decisions myself now, Lord. Even with what we believe are pure motives and a clear conscience. You hear me on that second one? Even with what a Christian man or woman believes he is doing or she is doing out of a clear conscience and with pure motives, if you are not submitted to the will of God, hear me on this, it is evil. It's not just not right. It's not just slightly off course. Anything that is not aligned with the will of God is not of God. And here's the deal. Here's the real kicker with it, right? The greater the root of pride, the greater the humiliation needed for change. The greater the root that pride has grown within your soul, that self has grown, the greater the need in your life for humiliation. Now, I don't say humiliation like, you know, the dream where you're standing naked in front of the school. And you don't know how it happened. Not that kind of humiliation. I'm talking about the kind of humiliation that takes a believer and shows them that the that the grace that they believe in, that the God that they have believed in has been cheapened. That they took a step and then stopped and never continued to walk in his word or his will and his ways. They stopped. And even though they were doing good in the world and they were learning of this Jesus Christ and the writings of his disciples and they were applying the moral virtues to their life and they were set free from addictions and they no longer uh, uh, struggled with cheating or stealing or whatever it was going on in your life because now I'm a moral person and Jesus has changed me. But the fact of the matter is you have never released yourself to him. Pride ego who you are demanding he follow you demanding he show you a way oh god prepare a way for me allow me to walk the path keep my feet from stumbling oh lord these are wonderful prayers and these were prayed by disciples right they're not wrong prayers the question is like paul when you end up in chains anyway what then do you do what do you do Do you find a critical spirit emerges out of you? Or do you find one of peace and patience? It's real simple, isn't it? It's real simple. If you find that during this time a critical spirit has led you, that you have to fight it, that it seems to be your first response at any new news going on in the world, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you that there is still a lot of self in there and that you think you have been deceived into believing that you have given all of it to the Lord, because you haven't. It is a constant picking up our cross. It is a daily bearing of dying to self. It is not a prayer when you were in middle school at camp. It is a daily dying to self. God, take it from me today. Because everything in me wants to pick it back up. Everything in me wants to run the show. Everything in me wants to be sure that I will be safe and comfortable, even in the midst of pain, that I will be safe and comfortable. It's in our moments of greatest failure that we can see our error. If we can understand that God has not failed us, but the self has, then our failures can actually be moments of our greatest growth. If you can see in your failure that it is not that God has not upheld you, that God has not loved you, or that he was not there for you, but if you can see that it was that you went back to self, you went back to your own understanding, your own root of pride, that can be one of the greatest moments of growth in your life. And I know there's people in here who know exactly what I mean. I've gotten to know some of you personally, and I know those moments. Those are the moments where you've grown <laughs> maybe more than any other the previous 20 years, 10 years. There's this book called He Leadeth Me. It's by a Catholic priest, Father Walter Sizek. And in it, it talks about how he was in a um, prison camp in Siberia in Russia during the second world war his writings are unbelievable the way he sees and the way the Lord met him the way he failed over and over and over again in what everybody would have called righteousness how he kept all of his prayers, how he kept the sacrament, how he did mass, how he did everything he was taught, how everything he knew he did and he did it and he sacrificed for it. And he meets God in this confinement, in this solitary confinement prison in Lubanka. Lubanka, Lubanka. For five years he is in solitary, five years. Solitary confinement for two weeks is a punishment in our jail system. Five years. In the book, he says this, the greatest grace that God can give to a man is to send him a trial he cannot withstand of his own power. And then he sustains him grace that he may endure to the end to be saved. If you're enduring something right now that you feel is breaking you, Is bigger than you is more than you can handle then today give thanks to the Lord it is his grace that is sustaining you and it is grace it is his grace that will bring you to the end it is his grace that will be your salvation you see the trial is just the beginning of the process right the trial is just the beginning of the process of God's work in your life and recognizing it and letting go of self and saying, okay, Lord, your will, not mine. Your will alone, only your will. That's just the first step. All you've done is start running the race. It feels, honestly, as Americans, it feels like for us to do that, that's the finish line. I did it. I stopped trusting me and my money and prepackaged food at the store. I trust God now. I finished And God's like, you just started the race finally. You've been standing on the starting line since you gave your life to me. Welcome to the race. Has anybody here ever ran a marathon? Yeah, no, we don't have any marathon runners. (laughs) There we go. It's painful, isn't it? I don't care how much you practice. I don't care how good a shape you're in. It hurts. Muscles hurt. Joints hurt. Your lungs hurt. It's not a pleasant process. There are endorphins that are released and there is a joy that can be found in it, but the joy has to be found in the love of the running because there is pain in the process. We must then learn to apply this trust in the will of God in every practical situation in life. This is where the real work begins. Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane says, not my will but thine be done. If you're taking notes, pull out a pad and a pen or your iPhone, whatever phone you have right now. If you're not taking notes, I'd suggest do it. I said it's simple, but trust me, this is what I'm about to say will help you understand everything said here today. Christ on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane cries out to the Father and says, not my will, but thine be done. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? Christ the man cries out on his knees to the Father, that he is sensing in his own self the will of man wanting to take over. And it is strong at this point. It is so strong in him that he begs not once, but three times that God would take it from him. But at last, he says, not my will, but thine be done. And this is what I want you to write down. This was not just conformity of his will to God's, but complete surrender of self and a total abandonment of his desires to receive only the desires of God. I'll say it again. This was not just conforming his will to God's. It is a complete surrender of self It is total abandonment of his desires to receive only the desires of God. Those are the words of Walter. It wasn't until five years in solitary confinement that this truth came to Father Walter. Five years. All he had was a bed in a six-by-ten room that you were not allowed to lay on or sit on unless it was sleeping time. And so you could stand or you could lean against a wall or sit on the cement floor with no one to talk to and deafening silence. He had his prayers memorized. He relied on the Lord for strength. He was interrogated daily, weekly. And it took five years for this truth to come in and it came in at a place that was super painful when he finally signed the paperwork that said he was a spy a Catholic spy you know they twist everything he said and and, and they get him to sign this paperwork and it finally happens when he is absolutely mentally and physically and spiritually weak and the man who had befriended him in the interrogation room and seemed like a nice guy as he goes and says you can I cannot sign this these things are not true he turns He turns evil to him and gets angry at him and says, listen, you sign them or I sign a document that has you in front of an execution squad by sunset. What are you doing, you stupid man, he says. Sign the papers. I'm trying to give you time in prison and I'm telling you if you don't sign them, you will die right here today. So he signs the 100 pages, admitting to being a spy. He feels guilt he feels shame he can't believe he's abandoned everything that he has believed he can't believe that in the moment of crisis in the moment of true testing he gave in that he he said primitive instinct kicked in i i I wasn't even thinking at the time And He goes back to his room, and he's just crumbled, and shame and guilt fill his mind, and he cannot believe he has let God down in this aspect. He cannot believe that not only if it was not for him that he has signed a paper saying that the Catholic church is trying to infiltrate and send spies, and so he's giving the church a bad name. He cannot believe in his shame and guilt that God did not intervene, that there was not a moment as he has done nothing but pray, done nothing but talk to God, and God does not intervene. He does not help he does not give words of wisdom he does not give a courageous or bold spirit in fact he fails miserably and it was the greatest thing that could have possibly happened in Walter's life because in this moment and in this time he talks about going into a deep despair he talks about a darkness so dark he. Never experienced it, and then he remembered these words of Jesus in Gethsemane. He remembered that it wasn't about conforming our will to his. It's not about taking your will and making it look like Jesus's. You hear me? Do you hear me? It's about you surrendering your will and receiving his. Those are two different things. The first one is what 99% of Christians do. We'd look to conform our will to his. Fine. Instead of going to work to make money for myself, I will go to work and I will give eight, nine, maybe 10% to the Lord. There, I am conforming my will to his. I no longer look like the world. Instead of spending night on Fridays drinking at the bar, I'll serve at the soup kitchen. All you are doing is conforming your will to his. You are not surrendering your will for his. For years, he spent in this prison, wondering why he wasn't experiencing the peace and the pleasure and the grace of the Lord. Of course, he felt sustained by God. Of course, God loved him. Of course, God upheld him. But he says, I want to read this. I had always trusted in God. I had always tried to find His will to see His providence at work. I had seen my life and my destiny as guided by His will. At some moment, more consciously than others, I had been aware of His promptings, His calls, His promises, and His grace. At times of crisis especially, I had tried to discover His will and to follow it to the best of my ability. But this, this was a new vision, a totally new understanding, something more than just a matter of emphasis. Up until now, I had always seen my role, man's role in the divine economy as an active one. Up until this time, I had retained in my own hand the reins of all my decisions. I saw it now my task was to cooperate with grace, that God wanted me to work beside him as a co author in my story, to be involved to the end in working out my own salvation. God's will was out there. It was somewhere. It was hidden amongst the weeds. And it was my job as a good Christian to find it. (laughs) He says, but now... But now, with sudden and almost blinding clarity and simplicity, I realized I'd been trying to do something with my own will and intellect that was at once too much and mostly all wrong. God's will is not hidden somewhere out there, it is in the situations in which I find myself. The situations themselves were His will for me, no matter what the situation is. He goes on, and it's amazing, once he has this epiphany, and he truly finally, as a 30-something, 40-something-year-old man, dies to himself, the freedom and the grace walking into the interrogation room. He said, even the interrogator noticed it. He didn't care. And so they said, well, listen, we're going to send you to two different places. And he goes, okay. Usually he would have argued. Usually he would have told them why. Okay. Okay. And so the guy said, really? Okay. All right, then we'll drop the paperwork. And he comes back and now they're going to send him to somewhere else because now he's a very agreeable man. And they say, we're going to send you to Rome. I mean, you've been stuck in solitary confinement for five years. Yes. Get me out of here. Put me in Rome. Here's what I want you to do. You're going to end up being an informant from the Catholic church to our people there. And we're going to need you to pass on information and espionage and we'll have you take some classes. Okay. Will you do this? Sure. Sure. All right. Wonderful. They draw up the paperwork. Would you just sign here? No, I won't. And he said, I didn't even practice the no. It just came out. I had total peace whether they were going to kill me or not. I didn't care anymore. I would do what God's will was directing me to do. And the guy gets up and in his face and says, you realize you will be executed. He said, yeah, if that's what happens, that's what happens. So the guards pick him up and take him and he assumes he is walking to his execution. And instead, they finally set him free to go work for 15 years at a labor camp in Siberia. Which, when you've been in five years of solitary confinement, was actually a relief for him. Here's what we're going to close with. We believe and we depend on God. We believe that it is his will that will sustain us in every moment of life. Hear me on this. But as Americans specifically, as Christian Americans, we are afraid to put him to the test. I'd like to have God as an insurance plan. Honestly, I'd rather not test him. The Bible says not to test the Lord. So why would I test him with my trust? No, God's my backup plan. My work and my knowledge and my family and my community, that is my strength and my source, even my church. We say we depend on him. We say his will is our will, and yet we never put it to the test in our life. it was when father Walter let his will no longer conform to God rather instead he took on the will of God as his own that his life changed he said he developed a peace and joy in everything that came next and his time in the prison camp in Siberia was as brutal as anything you could possibly imagine and yet he had complete peace that God gave him the strength to witness and to love and to carry out services in secret and to give baptisms and to give the uh, communion. And his life became, Lord, whatever today you have for me, I am your humble servant, whatever it is. This is the hardest thing for us to accept as Americans. You see culturally we are opposed to this ideology do you understand that you are predisposed by being an American to be against this ideology I am a free person I'm not bound to anybody or anything I live in a free country I worship where I want I buy what I want and I go where I want it's a false narrative It's a false sense of safety. And for a Christian, it's incredibly difficult to put that beneath, beneath the will of God. We often want to take our American spirit and combine it with the will of God, not subject it to, do you hear me? I said at the beginning, it was incredibly simple. Exchange your will for his, it's real simple. The step on how to do it's even simpler in every situation you find yourself in sitting here going to lunch afterwards swimming this afternoon playing sleeping whatever you do every situation is the will of God In recognizing that every circumstance every opportunity every meeting you have God has willed it God has ordained it and he has planned it he can work with your decision whether you choose true or false he has a will and, a, and you will accomplish his will whether you choose true or false isn't that crazy There is no answer you can choose that does not lead back to the story and the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So you can choose to follow and to submit, or you can choose to work against it and try to conform to it. I ask us as men and women to choose today that we would submit to the will of God, that we would recognize in our own hearts the things that are not submitted And that when we see a critical spirit in ourselves, we would see it as a sign that, Lord, God, help me. There is still part of me I am keeping from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is by your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the stripes and the death of the cross that we are healed. By his blood we are healed. Forgive us, Lord. For those who would ask forgive us for wanting the gift of your son but retaining self wanting to take up our cross but do it the way we believe we should father in this country if we are to survive if the beauty that you built in this country is to survive lord your children are going to have to let go of their will. They're going to have to give up their desires and their dreams. We're going to have to stop asking you to do what we would like you to do and instead wake up every day and ask you what we are to do today. Whatever it is, Lord. Help us in this, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord.